Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm honored to be speaking to fellow businesswoman, performance coach, boxer, and host of the Roll With The Punches podcast, Tiffany Cook, who is talking to me from Melbourne. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I always enjoy talking talking to Australians because, you know, you guys are like our our cousins or brothers or sisters or whatever. I know, right? I know. I've got a few I've got a few faves over there in New Zealand. I'm quite partial, though I've never been there myself. So when the world opens up, I'm gonna have to get my act together and come and visit. Yeah, yeah. When these lockdowns stop happening, when yeah, normality yeah. somewhat returns. <laughs> whatever that is anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like that at the moment, eh? So um <laughs> tell me how you got into boxing. I wanna I wanna know this. Like how 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 did it all happen? <laughs> Well, very accidentally, Reese. very accidentally, I was 29 and I'd been to this talk on resilience, this little seminar, and it was held up above a gym. And after the seminar, we went downstairs to have a look at the facility. There was this like functional movement facility. It was all very astroturf and fancy. And underneath that facility, there was a basement boxing gym and they had this poster on the wall that, and obviously I'd just been fueled with an hour's worth of talk on re- mental resilience. And there was this poster on the wall with a couple of dudes in suits and boxing gloves on, and it was advertising a zero to hero executive fight club where anyone could step into the ring. You get 12 weeks training. They put on a professional fight night, get some aired on Foxtel. It was all the bells and whistles. And I was, I was just a bit of a show off, to be honest. I was like, <laughs> I definitely, do chicks do this? Can, if chicks can do this, I definitely want to do this. So I jumped in head first and I tell you what, it was more than what I bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Because <laughs> I've always I, wondered um, like, I always wonder like what it's like to be punched in the face. Like, you know, you get punched in the face and obviously it hurts, but knowing you're going into a situation where you're going to get punched in the face. Yeah, like how it was do you really prepare for it. It was really interesting. So we like I've got a big mouth, or I had a big mouth back then. I guess I still do. I just use it differently. But um <laughs> I told everybody because obviously it's a big corporate fight night and I wanted all my people there. We we people had to buy, you know, $250 tickets to sit at a black tie event. So I told everybody that I am I'm having this fight and you all got to come and watch I sold all these tickets and I remember a couple of weeks in we started doing we're doing the training and we're partnered up you know we're all mates in the training we're partnered up and we had to have our gloves sitting on our cheeks and we had to start you know learn how to how roll with the punches funnily enough we had to learn how to roll with the punches so we start floating our gloves out to our partner's face and you know and then catching learning how to catch the glove and turn your head and brace for it and just get used to that and oh my god I had a knot in my throat the whole section I thought I couldn't keep my eyes open I couldn't keep my eyes looking forward all I wanted to do was burst into tears because I just felt it was so it was so confronting but I couldn't control my reactions to it and it was so unexpected and I remember just thinking as soon as this class finishes, I'm going to just, I'm just hightailing it straight out of the gym. I'm going to sit in my car and I'm going to bawl my eyes out where no one can see me. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, unfortunately that subsided and I didn't do that, but it was, it's the, it's the stuff that 
it's so unexpected how you react to things because the stuff that was hard and the, the stuff that was confronting, you know, when we finally stepped in and actually did some sparring, that that was nothing. That was, you know, that was exhilarating. I didn't feel the punches. I, you know, like that was that was a great feeling. It was the, it's the in anticipation leading up to it. Mm. It's the when it's when you're processing it at slow speed and you have all these expectations and nothing's familiar, especially when you've I'd never boxed before. So everything that we're learning about technique, you know, I'm I coach boxing now and you forget when you when you know a skill, you know, like we walk without thinking. But when we're children, we're learning to balance and we're learning to, you know, how to pick our feet up and place our feet and all of these things that we have to focus on. That's what you have to do when, you, when you're boxing. So when you have to think like that, it's so overwhelming. It's like you don't even know what to focus your attention on. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Do you have to teach a lot of the, the students or the, the participants like psychology as well? Because there's so much psychology that's involved and teaching people to not freak out and just, just kind of stay focused and not to be too much in here. Yeah, it is such a psychological game. And that's what I fell in love with when I, after I did that first fight, I said before, I said the day of the fight, I, I woke, I woke up after an hour of sleep, but the anxiety hit me <laughs> the night before the fight, of course, up until then I was like, yeah, I got, yeah, we're cool. It's all right. I don't even feel nervous. And then the night before I was like, oh, what's this? Oh, we're not sleeping all night. <laughs> so I had an hour's sleep. I got up the next day. I had to pick mum up from the airport because she was coming to watch. I couldn't converse with her. I had no social skills. I was just in a heightened state of fight and flight and arousal for the whole day. And I remember saying, I'll never, ever do anything like this again. The way that I feel today, there's just nothing in the world that could possibly be worth feeling this way and I'll never do it again. And then coming out the other side of the fight was so 10 times that feeling on the other side. Like that feeling was gone. And I, you know, I said, get me, like, when's the next one? Get me back in there. But this, the psychology of it, even then after you have another fight and another fight, and it's almost, it's, there's a real balance between, you know, like ignorance is bliss at first because, you go in and you don't you don't overthink things. You kind of you're in the moment in a different way. But as all of these skills start to form and you become aware of them, then you'll start thinking and judging them. And a whole there's more room in your thinking and your conscious mind to actually judge and criticize and know rather than just being there flailing your arms and being in the moment. Like that was my biggest challenge, especially in I had three years off and I and I was fighting back in 2019 after a break. And just the level of focus and control that I would that was the biggest challenge. How do we how much arousal do we need to perform? How much do I need to think to get an outcome? Or how much, how do I access flow or how do I you know, how much does the technique matter or how much does just the mindset and the feeling and the energy matter? It's, it's such a cocktail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Do you have to kind of become impervious to pain? 
Or do you just smash a whole bunch of painkillers after a fight? <laughs> yeah, I never, it's funny. I never felt, I definitely never felt the pain. I, I never felt, and I got hit a lot. Like I wasn't, I remember the first fight and defence was never my strong point. My strong point was just absolute work rate and heart. And I remember the first fight within, I reckon it was 20 seconds. It was probably 10. I don't know. It felt like 10 minutes. I'm in there the first time flailing my arms in the first round. And I just remember thinking, this is so overwhelmingly hard. Do I really want to, do I really want to do this? This is, this is hard already and I've got another three rounds to go. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to keep up this pace that I'm working at. I think I should chill out a bit and just pick my shots. Or what. And when I tried that tact, it was just get smashed in the face, get smashed. I was like, okay, well, that's not working. We're going to have to just keep the work rate up. So, but it's funny because especially for the first few, handful of fights I had I would just toddle back to I had no idea of my performance or what winning or losing would feel like I would just toddle back to the ring and ask how that went how did that go did I Mm. like did I win or did I like I don't know because because you just get hit and I wasn't even aware of the getting hit because my focus was on what I was doing and the punches I was throwing and it's really interesting yeah it's um yeah and, and over the years, it changed. There's like, I did. A, there was a lot of stuff for me, really personal stuff and growth and the and development that came out of that sport for me. Hmm. And working through that stuff, and that's what makes me so passionate about it because I found, like I always say now, I met a version of me. I realized I never knew when I stepped in that ring and over the first couple of years of competing I started well for a start I I questioned because I was never someone that did anything I was one of those fixed mindset people without even knowing what that meant back then it was like if I was good if someone told me I was good and talented at something and and I would win it then I would do it like so at school I never trained but I was great at sprinting and some of the athletics carnivals. So I would do that. And if I was winning a sport or good at it, I'd play it. But if I wasn't, I wouldn't work to be good at it. You know what I mean? So when I stepped into this boxing ring and, you know, those 12 weeks, I was, it was discomfort. Your inner critic, it was fear, it was all these emotions I'd never felt before and just literally feeling like the worst person in that gym, feeling so uncoordinated and so behind everybody else. And obviously we all kind of feel like that a lot of the time to a certain varying degrees. But I just couldn't understand why I kept going. I was like, why am I, why do I want to keep doing this? Because I've never, I was a, onto the next shiny object type of person and this right. sport I kept going yeah I kept going back but at the same time it made me ask kind of big questions about myself like why do people keep asking me if getting in punched in the face is scary and why am I not scared of that and why am I so brave and tough and all of this and I was like what does scare me then and why am I not scared of that and 
and then you know stuff started coming up all the personal stuff and I started looking at that so I realized that I'd had childhood trauma that I had suppressed my entire life and reframed and I had developed coping mechanisms and when you asked about pain like that was one I didn't I didn't feel emotions or pain so I could dissociate from that so when I was in the boxing ring and I didn't realize it for a couple of years but I remember one moment when a one of the coaches we were doing drills we were doing some exercise and I looked at one of the coaches and I said I'm I've got nothing left and he goes, really? You don't even look like you don't even look like you're trying. You don't even look like you're working hard. You because I because my poker face ability, that ability that no one will ever see what I'm feeling, and almost to a degree, I won't feel what I'm feeling. So so in terms of the emotional reactions to what was happening to me inside the boxing ring when someone's hitting me, there was really there was no space for me to feel in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. It makes sense. And it makes you a better boxer as a result if you can do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it's a good quality to have in, in terms of that space. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good quality. Interesting. It's a good quality to have, but it made me, like I said, it made me question all of those personal traits. And and then, you know, my theory was I've got all these things that for 29 years I've framed very positively you know, strength, independence, resilience, this, that, right? I was like, I think that, you know, they're all just a mask mm. for what's underneath. And unfortunately, or fortunately, but sometimes it felt like unfortunately, I'd peeled the lid off that and seen that what was underneath wasn't exactly the case. And you can never put that lid back on. So, yeah. you know, especially with that three years so I quit my job within right. two years and decided to be a boxing coach because I absolutely adored it that much and was really connecting with people. So I did that. And then for three years, I also, not long after uh, doing that, I'd injured my shoulder. So I had to have a break, which was the start of that three years of competing. And over that time, I did a lot of the emotional work I did a lot of therapy and I did a lot of, you know, about the stuff that I'd remembered and the stuff that I wanted to work on and the, the things that, you know, they're great coping mechanisms in the boxing ring, but if you can't connect to your own emotions in life, then you're just putting a wall up. Like I had the hugest wall up between me and everyone in life. And, you know, even to the point of realising, you know, in my 30s, I remember hanging out with my dad one day and we were talking, I was cooking dinner and he, and he said something and he said, um, he goes, Oh, there's this guy at work. That's about your age. I think you'd, I think you'd get along. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Parents. dad, yeah, dad, I'm not dating you, mate. Dad's a wolfie. Imagine someone of a wolfie telling you, trying to like dad, come on. But yeah. I was like, dad, no, mate, I'm not dating you, mate. And he's like, Oh, I go, Dad, I'm 30-something, whatever I was. I'm 30-something. I've been single for 29 of those years and, and pretty much left it at that. Like, Toddles back into the kitchen after a few minutes, looking all, you know, like he's been thinking about it. He goes, I just thought 
that you were so outgoing and so confident and so and that was the moment I realized that this front this bravado front that I believed for a long time I was like not only do I not really know myself underneath all that crap neither does my dad and the people that are supposedly closest to me, the people that know me, they don't even know me. Like you can't get, you can't go through life like that. So was it like walking through life carrying a massive bag of rocks? Oh, Unknowingly, absolutely. Yeah, but so well, like in hindsight yeah. you might notice it, but at the time you probably don't realize that you're carrying a bag of rocks, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I say I said in those early days it was like ignorance was bliss like before I realized that all that stuff was a bit of a front I'd framed it really positively and I you know but where it can I find that where it comes crashing down is when if you don't address your shit you are running from it so what I'd noticed and the reason it really came to a head for me yeah a couple of years in you know, I was training all the time. I was just training like crazy and training become my thing. And I was never really into fitness. I was always a busy person, but was never really into fitness before that. So I start doing all this physical training and I'm all, you know, I'm working full time and really running myself down. But, you know, once you hit your thirties, you're not, you're not bloody 20 anymore or you're not 18, you know, you can't train every single day in life and sustain a job and have all the, stresses of being an adult and you know so I just yeah I just felt like okay I see that a lot of the drive for some of this stuff is suppressing stuff from coming up it's it's that when I stopped when my body needed to rest and I let it or I went for like I remember going for some walks in St Kilda I'd go for a walk and next minute I would be crying my eyes out, walking down the street, walking down St Kilda Road by myself for a night and just in like horrific tears and not have a clue what I was crying about. I was like, I don't even know what's wrong. I don't even know what I'm crying about right now. It's just there was all this emotion and my body was, you know, normally I could just go and thrash a workout but I just felt like when I stopped and when I paused, there was just, there was all this sadness underneath. And it was like, I realized you can't, you don't physically have the, or emotionally have the energy to keep running away and, and distracting yourself and, you know, digging the hole deeper, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. So how, yeah. so did you go see uh, a therapist shortly after that? Was that like yeah, the, had, the revelational revelation point? And you're like, oh, maybe I should go see someone about this. Yeah, I went for I remember walking with a mate of mine who happened to be a clinical psychologist. Oh, that's that's and, great. That's handy. <laughs> I know. How handy is that? And I go to work. And this is like the mask I wear. So I go, if somebody had had this experience as a child, and because I'd start, obviously I doctor Googled myself and I was like, all right, very logical. That's All what right, everyone this does. Has happened. Yep, I'm just going to go and see if these symptoms match up. Yep, that's definitely what I'm experiencing now. So, so then I thought I'll throw it out there to my mate, and I asked her, and she's she. I remember her going, "Oh, mate, if nah, they wouldn't have dealt with anything." That like her her response was 
so abrupt. And a couple of weeks later, she she goes to me, oh, were you talking about so-and-so? And I was like, oh, no. I was actually I was actually talking about myself. And she, as you can imagine, was, oh, if I knew that, I, I would have responded very differently. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember she referred me to someone. But, you know, to be honest, it took a few therapists before before I found and clicked and did some work, you know, I was, I feel like I was, <laughs> I was such a tough client. Cause I went in there with the logic and I was like, all right, Michael got this going on. This happened. And he's like, mm, right. You know, like <laughs> I just was in for the answer. Like, all right, I'm here. I've done all the hard work because I've put all the pieces together. I'm telling you. So now I've got this issue. So can you just like give me fix the pill, it. fix it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that thing. I've been to therapy, <laughs> so like I, I, I understand it, right? Because they have to kind of dig really deep to try and get to the fundamental core of what the problem is. It's not a simple yeah. fact of just looking at what's on the surface. You got to dig like really, really deep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many different types of therapists and therapies. Like yeah. I, I ended up going to a few over time, and yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. But the most the thing I loved about boxing and love about boxing was in that three-year period, and I went back in 2019, and I'd done this work, so I'd made huge changes to how I was with emotions and relationships and, and life and knowing myself. And one of the first things I thought was, what's going to happen? Like, what's going to happen to Tiff the boxer? Because when I was choosing to do this work, I was like, oh that's going to change you as a fighter because that coping mechanism made you strong in the boxing ring. And then if you change this part of yourself, well, what's that going to do to that girl that, that's that got that strength in the boxing ring? Right, yeah. It, or you yes. might lose, lose that ability or that skill in particular. Yeah. In particular. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and went back in 2019 and – absolutely felt the change absolutely felt the change and that's what I love about the sport of boxing is you are you you get to know your reactions and your responses to things before the conscious mind kicks in when Mm. you're at your most primal you're under threat you have decisions to make and you soon know, you soon find out who you are and how you feel about yourself and how you how you tackle things. And, you know, there's obvious ebbs and flows in that from just a, the standpoint of mindset. But I would step out of the ring or step out of training sessions and you know, the night after or, you know, each for a couple of hours after training, I just loved the process of the connections that I would make from what I just felt and seen happen inside that ring, inside that environment. Yeah. So can you so, see on some of the people that you coach, them having a front up, they got the mask on, the poker face on. Can you kind of sense that now when other other people that you're coaching have it? Can yeah? Yeah, I guess I don't I'm not I don't coach fighters now. I, I spent a couple of years uh 
coaching a lot of the fighters that were doing the corporate boxing challenge that we would do. So that was right. awesome. But what I do now is I run a workshop. It's a four-week workshop and I love – it's just – it's a really good tribe of people when we go for breakfast afterwards. But what I love about it is just opening up the ability to connect the body with the mind and control and then open up those types of conversations at the same time. So people Mm. really like, for me, that's the connection. And I think as soon as one person does it, as soon as one person lets their guard down, obviously not in the boxing ring, (laughs) That wouldn't be good. Yeah, no, that's not good. (laughs) But as soon as, like, for example, I just last week dropped an episode on my podcast that that ended up at the halfway point becoming a very vulnerable, very confronting therapy session because he was a clinical psychologist on me and my childhood. Yeah, and it was, it it was. It was a big one and because it, it actually, I didn't realise at the time, but it took me two weeks before I opened the file to edit it and it took another two weeks before I posted it online and it was really well connected by people. But what, And this is what I find is as soon as you are yourself and acknowledge the mask and acknowledge the flaws and acknowledge the challenges, everyone else just goes, oh, me too. Oh, right. Like everyone, the amount of messages and emails that I got of people saying, he could have been talking about me then. I, you know, I relate to that. That's the most powerful episode. And yeah, I feel like the boxing ring's an opportunity for that, right? Because for me, it's, it's a metaphor. We can, we stand in there and we do stuff with our body and we can kind of wear the mask of boxing. Mm. But also it's very transparent. There's not, you know, there's not much of a mask that you can wear in boxing. That is so true. That is true. Mm. So mm. I, I saw that you studied uh, conscious hypnosis. Yes. So can you tell me exactly what that is? Is it hypnosis as in the typical media portrayed hypnosis or is it something different? Well, it is, yeah. It's the typical media one, um, but when you talk about typical media like stage hypnosis, that's kind of a very different thing. Yeah. It was a part of a course I did, and I don't do hypnosis, but I am I'm interested. I did a lot. Of, I did NLP courses and I, because they were a lot of the, the tactics that were used on me. And what was really powerful is when I went and did NLP as a qualification, I realised the science behind what, I'd experienced it. I'd had a life coach before and they'd done this NLP on me and I thought it was weird. Hmm. So weird. Like I'll, I was like I'll just quickly say that NLP is neuro linguistic programming, right? Thank you. And yes. I should have said that, shouldn't yeah. I? <laughs> All right, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like this I remember doing it years and years ago. I was like, this is so weird. Like I don't even know if I'm doing it right. And you know, like I'm paying hundreds of dollars to this guy to do this stuff with me and I'm just thinking I don't know, I'm just kind of agreeing with you. I don't know if it, I don't even know what this is. It's so weird. But we I remember because when you do things like timeline therapy and you can what you could do is remove um negative emotions uh from basically for anyone that doesn't know it from the first point. So a lot of the the emotional turmoil we have now, it might stem from a, an initial event and then it carries through in life and we kind of 
build on it and build on it. So we find that first point of where that emotion became a really heightened thing that we haven't gotten over the experience of and we take and we kind of make amends with that in this mm. imaginative way. It's really weird. Anyway, we've done that and when you do it, the emotions, you do it in a specific order. So normally you'll do anger first and underneath anger there will be, say, sadness, grief, shame. There will be all of the other emotions but you do it in a specific order which is important. Anyway, I used to be, when I was growing up, like I was always, I'm, I'm a Taurus so I'm fiery and I, I was always a bit fiery and outspoken and people used to, like I used to joke that I was, they would call me the angry bird, you know, and it was always in a joking manner, but I would be quite fiery and reactive. And when I had those kind of, like I told you about the emotional breakdowns, what I would notice when that was brewing, right, because I didn't want to feel the emotions of whatever was underneath it. For me, anger was the tool that gave me control over something and I could project that. So I like I think of times when I was getting, you know, I was getting wound up and pissed off about something and I'd just be, I'd, I'd get irritated at people around me for, for, you know, no reason at all, but you'd pick something and be like, that person's annoying because of this and, you know, like there's all this anger. So I always knew that anger was kind of my only emotion and when I did the course, we did the timeline there and we practised on each other and... When we were doing it, and this was years later, and I remember them saying, well, we'll work on anger. And I was like, I don't really feel like anger. I don't really feel like I might go do a different emotion. And then I went, oh, my God. Anger was used to be, I've never thought about that since. But I feel like he'd gone through that process with me and it had made such a profound change. And then I was like, that's why I felt so much more access to the other really uncomfortable feelings that were underneath the anger of, you know, maybe shame and loneliness and whatever else there was. But it made so much sense because I was like, oh, that's why I've had some, you know, ups and downs and that's really interesting to me. But the science behind that NLP, I loved. I love neuroscience. I love science behind things. I like a bit of woo-woo, but I only like woo-woo if I can go and look at the science and be like, right, I get that. Right, so it has to be scientifically based before you take it on board, right? Yeah. As, a, as opposed yeah, to the, yeah. the, the uh, flaky, hokey, hokey magic. Yeah. Wizardry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit, yeah, I'm a little bit like that. I'm like, okay, I like, I, li- I like this. I like the idea of it. But I need to go and see that there is science behind what's happening. And if you give me that, oh. Happy, happy days. Did you, did you used to wear black a lot? I live in Melbourne, bro. Yeah, I wear black <laughs> all the time. Black is my <laughs> natural so, habitat. <laughs> okay, the reason why I say it is because um, this I don't know the exact science about it, but if you think about if you wear black, right, and the sun, you know, if you're wearing black and it's real sunny, mm-hmm. you get hot mm-hmm. quicker. They say it's mm. the same with energy. So you absorb negative energy if you're wearing black. Oh. Yeah. The way. Really? Yeah, yeah. I should find the link and send it to you. Um, Please do. And I'm saying this while I'm wearing black, which is kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, which kind of makes sense, right? I mean, if, if it, because mm. it's energy, so you absorb it. 
Um, but yeah, that's why I thought I'd ask. I was like, oh, did you wear a lot of black? Because I know a lot of people Ooh. that are in my circle that get quite angry, they wear a lot of black. Now, could just well, be a coincidence. I actually, yeah, no. I actually, I, I always wore quite, because I worked in corporate, so it was obviously black yeah, pants black, and things, but yeah, I would, yeah. I was always wear quite bright colours. So, I so wasn't it wasn't one full of those black. Angry... It's not. It's not like you were goth or anything, and like no, black, like it definitely yeah. wasn't goth. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I was more the opposite. Like, like when I was sixteen, I was the girl that peroxided my hair and put pink fudge in it and walked around with pink hair. Like I was bright. Right. I, was, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't angry in the in the in the way that you know you would. I was fun angry, but I would use that anger as a tool. More like just snappy, like a, like. Fun, aggressive, if that's a thing. Mm. Not like, oh, God, stay away from her. She's always so angry. Just that... flighty and reactive. Right, but could that be misinterpreted? Even though you're yeah, fun, sure. angry, would people be like, Yo, like yeah. Oh, t- yeah, for sure. And for would sure. You find... like, yeah, I would yeah. love I would love to go back in time, clone myself, go back in time and, and have a conversation with that person and see what I thought of them and see what I soaring them now like it's so interesting even when we talk about the mask like I said when I was in Tassie I had this this spiky hair that was bright pink I rode a motorbike everything had to stand out because and I was quite I was very shy and I definitely could have couldn't have spoken on a podcast or put myself out in front of people and spoke I was very shy but I used this look that was unique, it was almost like my voice to say, hey, I'm really different. I'm really different. I'm really, you know, I'm bold. I'm colourful. I'm bright. I'm cool. But I didn't have the confidence to actually say that. So I was using this really out there kind of look to say that on my behalf. Um, And I felt that. I felt when I was in Melbourne at some point and I dyed my hair brown again and I just felt like I remember thinking, oh, I never realised that was something I needed, but I don't feel like I need that look anymore. Yeah. When you're different, though, this I'd imagine there'd still be a part of you that wants to feel accepted and included, right? Oh, but it's frustrating yeah, because you're like, why, why am I so different? Why do I feel so different to everyone else? And I feel like I'm not included, like I don't belong here. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, get, I never felt. I, I don't think I ever felt like I didn't belong. I, I just felt like I wanted to be, you know, center of attention. I wanted to be the person, the happy. You know, I was all, I was a happy person. It sounds funny because now I'm like you're saying you're angry, but you're happy. I was a happy person. I was a fun person. I was always, you know, but there were, you know, it was those extremes of, or just not really letting myself be who I was under it, not being vulnerable with people. So it was, everything was to be what I thought people would want in a person, in a relationship, in a friendship. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. I mean, you wear a lot of hats. Like, was that always the plan to like start a podcast and... (laughs) That was never the plan. That was never the plan. Do you know when that became a plan? I became a plan five minutes before I had a podcast. I that happened in the middle of lockdown, and oh, right. I'd started. 
we worked in gym. So I got a couple of gyms. Yeah. So we got locked down for that four-month period. My gyms got closed. My income got stopped. I was like, oh, oh well, oh, that's uh, not ideal. But I got an opportunity to do to put together a program to train our Victorian ambulance paramedics online and as a part of that program I train them every morning and then on Friday afternoons I put together a feel good Friday kind of well-being hangout sort of session within two weeks I started bringing in guests and then I put together a six-week lineup of guests and I was like whoa I got whoa I got like twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of guest speakers yeah. lined up here and that that seed was there then I was like oh maybe I'll keep the audio for that because they were all on zoom recorded but maybe I'll keep the audio and when I've done 20 or 30 I'll start rolling them out weekly and then I'll practice getting better at this and then maybe I can do a podcast and of course me being me I borrowed some podcasting gear and asked one of my guests to meet me at the gym when we were out of lockdown obviously meet me at the gym and record practice recording a session with me and on the way there I thought of the name roll with the punches and when I got there I had the microphones and the ring light and I took a selfie in front of the backdrop which is actually my cover art now and because I've thought of an awesome name and I had it took an awesome selfie I posted it I was like this there's a new podcast guys <laughs> I, at that point I had no idea how podcasts worked or how I how you get whatever that little black box was, which I now know is a Zoom interface. I had no idea how I get the sound off of that and into Apple iTunes. Oh well, it's all a learning curve. I mean, everything <laughs> everything that you've done, right? I mean, you've 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 done very well. So obviously, this is just the next part of that that uh, that book. They call mm, life, and it was so like I I said, and obviously COVID. COVID was hard, but I I wouldn't trade it for the world because I'm, I'm, it made me change what I'm doing. It made me evaluate and reflect and start something new in a situation. And the beauty of it was, I mean, the podcast became ridiculously successful so fast. And I was like, I didn't plan this. All I, all I wanted was I saw an opportunity to improve my communication skills and to leverage that I could network at a higher level I've always done business networking and that served me really well but I was like I right now I'm networking with world-renowned guests and while I have the opportunity to do that by using the platform of the the paramedics being able to introduce myself to speakers that would speak to them and then build a relationship I was like this is great I will I mean they're two things that are really important to me, so I'll I'll do that, and that's all I focused on. And then next minute, the podcast went well, and I was like, "Oh, isn't it amazing when you find something?" And I loved it. I loved every. I love even love editing the the conversations, and when you love what you're doing and you're passionate about it, and I I don't think it would have I don't think I would have had that success if I had have planned that success. Mm. Makes sense. Which was amazing to me. It was a, you know, it was a lesson in itself. And I wouldn't have had the time off. I wouldn't have get, but I had, I had no income. I had no choice. I had, well, I was allowed outside the house for one hour a day. So (laughs) 
it was, you know, I just busied myself. And it was funny because as I was busying myself, obviously because of my track record, I spent a lot of time going, is this, is this awesome attitude that you've got and this love of what you're doing, is this a coping mechanism and is this a mask? Like I was very um, sceptical as to whether I was going to wake up one day and have a breakdown and be like, oh, I just, you know, I just, it was just another coping mechanism or it was just another, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, has the, has the therapy worked, Reese? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem very happy and very bubbly and <laughs> yeah, you're glowing. So that's, that's Yay. a good sign. It's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. 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 How long has your podcast been going? Two years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm just about to hit 100 episodes. So, long yeah. time, long time. And as as you've said, like, it's one of those things, just with me, when I started, I didn't know. I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I mean, I kind of knew audio stuff because I'd, I, I came from that background. But in terms of actually making one, like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing here. And you kind of just pivot and adapt where, where need be. You listen to feedback. Mm. You take, uh, take it on board. You look at, like, analytics and what works and what doesn't. And even when I'm editing, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to myself back and be like, uh, no, nah, I shouldn't have said that or I fumbled words there or whatever, right? Because um, mm. I don't know about you, but, like, I'm my own worst critic. Like, oh, I just see yeah. the flaws and <laughs> everything that I do um yeah and I have to take a step back sometimes and sometimes even my partner has to be like hey no no you're doing pretty well you've done this this and this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what is what has been the what lights you up about the podcast or what have been the has been the biggest wins for you I think it's just getting to talk to people that I wouldn't necessarily get to talk to yeah. Because I'm exposed to so many different people and you learn about so many different ways of life and you mm. actually realize quite quickly how ignorant you are about a lot of things. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You like talk to people and you're like, oh my God, I didn't even didn't even know that. That didn't even I wasn't even comprehending that in my mind, right? So like the mm. more the more you do it and the more you're exposed to it. Uh yeah, you realize a lot of things about yourself and about the world. I mean, particularly, you know, Dylan, right? There's like five million people here. Um, yeah. you know, we don't, I mean, and even Australia to a certain extent, right? We're both at the bottom of the world and, you know, the Northern hemisphere is completely different. I mean, most of the population lived there, wars and chaos and all that jazz. Mm. And we kind of sit here off to the side, just doing our own thing because New Zealand and Australia's yeah. cultures are quite similar. Um, if, if, if we're talking about the world sense, I think... If there's two countries that are culturally similar, it's Australia and New Zealand. A lot of yeah, tourism yeah. And, and back and forth in terms of work. Um, but, like, say America is very different to Canada, even though they're neighbours. So, yeah, I think, I think it's quite easy to get caught in your bubble sometimes. So it's, it's good to have that popped now and then. Mm, yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah. you've had that as well, right? Yeah. I remember, th I reckon it was three or four months in, thinking and saying I've I've learned more than I think any course could have told me like totally the learning and the evolution as, as a human it's so it just that's why I don't like I don't 
mind editing. I love the editing process and the time, like the monotonous time that's involved in in producing a podcast. Yeah. But I value it so much because, I mean, I can't even really gauge how much I'm learning, but sometimes it wasn't that long ago. I was editing an episode and I realised that there were probably three or four times that I've grabbed my phone in the middle of editing and Googled a word that I've said and gone, can I check that I'm actually using that correctly? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I am. Where the hell have I picked up all this language? Like all of a sudden I'm articulating things differently and I'm, I'm like, oh. Yeah. And I remember at the start, I remember at first there were, like I said, I love the science of things, but I hate doing courses. I hate doing long courses. I'm, I get yeah, really I'm the sick same. of it really easy. Yeah, so I was wanting to study I was like I'd like to study that more I'd like to retain certain information like I'd like to study more neuroscience I'd like to know more I don't even think like that anymore because I'm because I'm just learning every day it's it's sinking in more than any course would and I don't even have that thought anymore do you are you a visual learner or how do how do you learn because like I learn through visuals or through repetition right if you give me a whole bunch of words to just read Unless I can somehow put some image to it, it's very hard for me to retain it. Like the has, yeah. like I'm very much a visual learner. I'm just wondering if you're similar. I'm a bit visual, but a bit bit. Of, uh, uh, I like listening. I like audio. I mm. like to get audio books and podcasts. I find that I learn a lot more and retain a lot more because I guess I can do that while I'm doing something or walking or moving my body a little bit. If I'm reading a book, do you ever get that thing where you read a book and you finish your page and you're like, oh, I have actually, I've scanned (laughs) the words, but I have actually not read this book. And I would, God, when I was young, I would do that all the time. I'd flip, I would restart a book three times because I'd get pages in and be like, I haven't been reading at all. I've been daydreaming at the same time. So I feel like that process of I can plug it into my ears, I can walk the dog, I'm actually more inclined to listen because there's movement in my body or there's yeah. other things that just enough to focus on to let the information go in. Fair enough. I did want to ask about your fitness regime. I want to know. Oh, right. Well, yeah, yeah. I want to know. I want, I want to know what you do. I want to know what your nutrition is. <laughs> well, um, Obviously, when I was boxing, it was very heavily boxing. When I was competing, I would train two hours every afternoon, and that would that was my trainer was pretty brutal. So that would just be like more often than not, that would be an hour straight of three minute rounds of sparring. Like it was just you know old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these days, yeah, these days I do a lot of body. I do a, I do a variety of things. I've I've hung up the gloves now because the time commitment with everything else I'm doing is just not feasible. And I know that whenever I compete, I'm all in to the detriment of anything else. Mm. And fortunately I was having that thought. And one of my friends who does rock climbing got me into rock climbing. And it was the first time that I felt, remember that first day of the fight that I felt and I couldn't sleep. And I had that, that it's the first time I've felt that in my body since to that level, just clinging to a rock face. So I found that, you know, there's, there's another place I can access that. There's another place that I can get to know Tiff under 
extreme duress yeah. clinging to a wall. So I like doing a bit of rock climbing now. I do a lot of body weight training of a style of training called Zoo. It's like primal groundwork. I love it. It's really hard, kind of brutal, but amazing for your body and your joints. I just I love a variety of stuff now. Obviously, still adore punching. Not not people in the face now, but punching the pads at least. But yeah, I do a bit of everything. I'll do something every day because I love it. Um, nutrition wise, currently and often when I do feel much better, I do intermittent fasting. Nice. And yeah, yep. really, I love the health benefits of that and the cognitive benefits of that. And mm. every time that I do it, I just feel good and it improves my behavior around and relationship with food it's so intertwined like food Mm. is so intertwined with how you feel and your mood and i think it's only as as of late that people are really starting to come around to this and starting to realize how much of an important factor it is yes and food and movement hand in hand like if you injure yourself and can't train watch how quickly quickly it affects your food it's almost impossible to stay on track with your food when your movement is taken from you. Yeah. Because the body knows. The body knows. The body know, and the brain know what is going to access certain access and release certain neurochemistry. You know, do, dopamine, serotonin, and when an activity that releases that is taken from us, and we can now no longer go and box and get those feel-good hormones, well, body's like, it's all good. I got you, mate. Grab a Freddo frog. We got this. <laughs> Same feeling. So, you know, and like I said, so you know, sometimes training is a, is a coping mechanism. So when we can't cope, when that's taken from us, we can't cope, then we go for food because food's comfort. Like what do we do when we're kids? We throw something in our mouth every time we're upset. So it's, I mean, it's only reasonable to understand that that's that's going to be a lifelong pattern for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think as well as like uh, exercising is a good coping mechanism, and it's also better than saying turning to a substance, whether it's food mm. or alcohol or some sort of drug. Um, yeah, because some people don't know how to deal with their emotions pro- uh, properly, and so they turn to a substance as a way of coping with it. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, and I do think it's important that you eat the right food. So, what fruits, vegetables? Is there any foods that you yeah. actively avoid? Um, I do. I'm very. It's funny. I never thought I had an amazing diet, and then I kind of realised that even over the years before I was into fitness, my knowledge had evolved, and I and my eating had evolved. And it's not until I, at one point, was eating with other people and other friends that weren't into fitness that I was like, God, I'm very hard on myself because I've got a massive sweet tooth. So I love, you know, like far out. Don't leave your block of chocolate lying around anywhere near me because it won't survive. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of, you know, like lean meat and veg, stir fries, I'm very much a meat and veg type person. I don't have a lot of pastas and things like that. Yeah, Um, okay. Yeah. I studied epigenetics last year, so I'm an epigenetic coach too, and through that I learned a lot. And often epigenetically we we tend to lean towards eating and moving and living the way that our biology suits. 
But because we have such a load of information to think about, talk about now, you know, like, oh, my best mate did this and they got results. So we start overriding the system. We don't listen to our bodies the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Because it's not a a one size fits all when it comes to diet, right? I mean, there's some some foods that your body might like and then for another person it might cause a reaction. Or yeah, whatnot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Like, for example, with the, in the epigenetic coaching, there's 60% of people in Australia, I don't know, it could be worldwide, I can't remember, 60% of people are a, a type called a diplomat. And they, they give, we, there's six health types, we give them names just to make it easier to bloody process for people. Yeah, yeah. Diplomats are your standard non responders in training programs. So, you know, you get a get 10 people doing a hit program, give them the same food, the same training. They go in every day. They're not responding. And we're like, oh, you're obviously not following the diet. All you need to do is take that training session. They're not, they're night hours. They shouldn't train early. No stress on the body early in the morning. It puts them in a worse health, worse health state. So you take that training, you put it in the afternoon, change nothing else, and they'll get results. So things like that, how you eat, how you live, how you socialize all of that stuff it's it's actually incredible the things that you can change that will enhance your performance decrease your stress improve results it's an acquired skill though to become self-aware as well when your body's telling Mm. you something because it's basically a it's a filtering system right like it tells you it actually tells you when something's wrong but sometimes you're just so oblivious to it like if you if you smoke a cigarette right the first time you do it it's like (laughs) right because it's your body telling you, like, what the hell are you doing? Right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's trying to filter it out. And sometimes it's the same with food, right? Like, say, if you ate, oh. I don't know, if you're like a celiac or something and you ate gluten and then you felt bloated afterwards or you have a lot of gas or something. Like, so I think some people are just like, oh, yeah, that's just normal. Um, mm. And then... 100%. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you need someone to point it out to you. Yeah. It's really funny. A lot of the people that I've coached and there'll be two, two main responses to certain things that I'll be like, eat like this, train like this, this is the best for you. And people will either say, oh, yeah, I tend to already got those diplomats. They will often already know inherently I'm not a morning person. I don't have breakfast till 10 anyway. I don't get up, you know, I stay up a bit later. I don't get up early. Um, or there'll be a time in their life where they have and they've got, they'll go, oh, I used to and I felt really good. And, you know, it's funny because, well, why aren't you now? So you, you're coming for help. You've got, already got this proven track record that this once worked. Yeah, so <laughs> why not? But now you're here. Yeah. Yeah, now you're here why asking me for it? the magic pill. Like the magic pill is exactly what you did before when you felt it. But it's an art. It is. Like you said, it's an art because our body speaks to us in a lot of ways and especially when it comes to food. It's talking. You're talking about bio biochemical um, responses. You're talking about emotional responses and coping mechanisms. Like, am I eating? So I'm actually hungry. Am I? Do I get hungry and anxious because I'm eating high sugar foods and high carb foods that are giving me peaks and troughs in my blood sugar? And then it's because cause I used to eat like that. So despite eating really healthy, I'd often have those, you know, healthy treats. So, but the energy, or you look at the energy release of the types of foods I was eating, it was up and down. And of course, I was always peaking and troughing with energy. And sometimes what you eat, it can actually have an effect later. So um, 
Do you know much about like anema kits? Are Anemic? They, yeah, well, no, like anema kits. So they're like these tubes. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, they you stick them up your your ass, right? And then you, <laughs> it's basically, and they're like these little tubes that you stick up your ass, and then like you you basically put all this water up there, and what it does is it sucks all the the toxins and some of the oh. food that might not fully um come out and get stuck to the sides of like your intestines uh, yeah, wow. in that area yeah because that can help with uh that some stuff if, particularly if you're like having fatigue or you're just feeling mm. um tired all the time or bloated all the time that can be one yeah, part I, of it i mean there can be other aspects but uh yeah i had a girl on my show late last year Oh, it was a ripper of an episode, but um, she healed or cured, or they don't say that term, she is symptom-free for over four or five years now of bipolar 1, which is the the more severe bipolar. She had debilitating bipolar, suicidal, like awful, awful, awful symptoms. And she did, she tried do-it-yourself Poo transplants, fecal transplants. Is that and even a thing? What, what, like, what? That is a thing. That what? is a th- that is getting someone else's poo and transplanting it into your body. Are you serious? So how does that work? Serious. Well, it, yeah, she makes a smoothie out of it, and she gets a big tube thing. There's a there's a video she had on it. She was oh on God. SBS, um, and it was fecal awesome transplant. Is yeah, that what it's called? true I gotta, story. I gotta write true this down fecal somewhere. Transplant. I'm putting this in my phone. It's I gotta, I gotta look at this afterwards. Fecal transplant. Keep going, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I'll send you the app. She's amazing, but she's one of the first okay. people in the world that because bipolar one is non-curable, but she hasn't had an episode for a very, very long time, mm. like years, and she's now in some of the scientific journals. And she's now involved in some clinical trials in Melbourne as we speak. So it's incredible. But, it, yeah, so, like, doing that, the, the things that that can heal in terms of autoimmune diseases, because when I was first looking to do an episode on that, weird thing to be scoping out, but I, I thought that I would speak to someone with an autoimmune condition and I'd reached out to a couple of speakers that have a business that does it, but they didn't respond. So then I went, goo, I went, searching on YouTube and I found hers and super excited because a lot of my episodes will touch on people with mental health issues. So I was Mm. like, oh, this is so great. And she was just, oh, it's the story. There was another guy, she talked about another guy in Queensland that's doing it, that's done it as well and has um, helped his bipolar and he, I don't know if I can say it, oh, God, Reese. He <laughs> makes poo smoothies. He was making poo smoothies, legit. You can because you can have you can put it in a capsule, which they call crapsules, or you can. This sounds like so insane. Like just listening to yeah. this right now, and it's like <laughs> it's really hard for me to like take this on board. Like I obviously have to look into it further because it's like it's fecal matter. Like it's yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like people get mm. viruses and get sick from like eating poo and that's yeah and that's the thing is when when you they do it like you have to do if you were were to go down that path you would have to make sure that the person who is who you are taking the 
matter from it goes through <laughs> testing because you, you could get quite sick if they're carrying anything. Yeah, yeah. That you're gonna, yeah. But so, like, I know that they've they've done it with people that are obese too. Like you put, because they did it in mice. If you put the feces of obese mice or of lean mice into obese mice, then they that changes their weight. They lose weight. This is so buzzy. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't foresee talking to you about feces, but hey, that's 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 the joys of podcasting, right? Um, we it must never be, know where must, we could go. It must be a bacteria thing, right? So, like, you you obviously do the transplant, and it does something to your gut bacteria or the bacteria yeah. within your body, and somehow yeah. balance it out. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, and like the gut. I was talking. I was into a podcast the other day. I can't remember who it was, but they were reiterating that the gut. Speaking to the brain. So the messages from the gut to the brain, because obviously there's a neural network in our gut. So there's, we yep. have three brains, so to speak. And by brains, I mean neural networks. And one is our the brain in our head that we all know of. Yep. One is the brain in our heart. So our heart has a neural network that speaks to us. Makes and our sense. gut has a neural network. Yep. And they were saying that the, the, the network from our gut to our brain is eight times stronger going that way. So the messages so yep. and then we Makes know sense. that serotonin is produced in the gut. So serotonin obviously is the feel good hormone. Mm. So you look at those two things and it really only makes sense, doesn't it? I mean oh, I don't yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. I mean the gut the I don't gut... want to go flipping crapsules, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean the gut's the source of all diseases I feel. Um, mm. in most, most cases mm. or any, like with autoimmune, not just autoimmune diseases, but, um, other things as well. But yeah, it always starts in the gut. So yeah, mm. pay close attention to your diet folks and your body. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, um, I'm going to wrap up there. This has been so amazing. Um, we'll have to catch up in person when I'm in Melbourne. Yeah, well, for sure. Absolutely. Sing out. Yeah, yeah. So um, where's all your uh, social media? Where can everyone follow you and download your podcast and so forth? I've got a website, which is www.rollwiththepunches.com.au. I've got Roll With The Punches podcast is on Instagram. My personal Instagram is Tiffany and Co. That's Tiffany with a double E. And I'm on Facebook. Hunt me down. I'm everywhere. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. I very much appreciate very it. I've welcome. learned a lot, especially about feces. Um, <laughs> mind blowing. It's going to take me a while to <laughs> fully, fully process this, but uh, it's good nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find that video and send it to you where yeah. she, because she, she makes the smoothie right Yeah, there. yeah, that's hilarious. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And uh, until next time, stay safe. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>